0: Today we're in week three of our series called Whatever. Each weekend we're we're talking about things that relate to all of our lives, but we're gonna leave you guessing each weekend about what they are. We're gonna talk about whatever we want. Now today, Andy Averill is here to give our whatever message for this weekend. If you've attended River Glen, you know Andy and his bright sense of humor, his insightful teaching and solid leadership that he provides for Family Life Ministries. But something you may not know is that his name's actually written on the wall in the old auditorium under a few layers of paint. About 10 years ago, during one of our services, we encouraged people to write down someone's name on the back wall who needs Jesus, and we'll pray for them, and a family member wrote down Andy's name. Now, years later, Andy not only follows Jesus, I mean, he has helped many students and adults find and follow Jesus. And I'm just really grateful for what God's done in his life and very grateful to have Andy on our team. So please welcome Andy Averill as he gives the weekend message today. Yeah. All right, yeah, a lot happens uh, in 10 years. So again, I am Andy, I'm the Director of Family Life here, and also the high school pastor, and we're gearing up for the beginning of the school year, right? Who's pumped? The parents. (laughs) Right. The parents are like, yeah, and the kids are like, mm, right? We're going to wake up now before noon or whatever it is. I don't know. But um, our student ministries are going to be kicking off uh, pretty soon. And we have a lot going on the next month. Next weekend, we have a camping trip for high schoolers. uh, And then the beginning of September, both Slife, our high school ministry, and Edge, our middle school ministry, uh, kick off. uh, uh, Edge on the 7th and Slife on the 11th. There's information out in the lobby you can find about that. And then we also have a middle school all-nighter plan. So a lot of stuff planned. No sleep planned for me, but uh, it's going to be... Awesome, and so if there's any, you have any questions or anything, just find me after service and, and uh, you can ask me and we'll talk. But uh, also some fun news real quick. You guys know, probably know Brandon Stevenson, one of our pastors on staff. Well, him and his wife just welcomed their third boy uh, into the world, and I'm assuming you're looking at the picture of him. Super cute, white, way better looking than his dad. Um... <laughs> And so they're doing really good. He's healthy, mom's healthy, and dad is uh, on the verge of tears. So, um, trying to get Brandon to drink coffee, but he just won't. He won't give in. So he'd be so much happier. Um. All right. So we are uh, continuing this series called Whatever, and we were allowed to speak about whatever we want. And I'm like, sweet, finally an opportunity to talk about my favorite TV show, Lost for a whole hour. No, I'm just kidding. That got vetoed. Um, So instead, I'm like, well, you know what? I'm going to talk about a topic that has really transformed my life, the way I view myself and others and my my relationship with God. And I'm going to talk about that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to dive right in. We're going to waste no time. We're going to get going. And I'm going to have you participate in a way, okay? So you can take your programs out uh, if you have them. And on the back are a bunch of questions. And I'm going to start off by just asking you a ton of questions about yourself all right no one else is going to see this this is just for you you're not turning it in or anything um so be honest be open uh when you're answering these questions okay um and so we're we're gonna dive right in to the topic all right first question who are you living your life for who are you living your life for let me kind of give you an example of what i mean as as a youth pastor um i love my job i love what i do and i can love it so much that it can become kind of the ultimate thing in my life and what ends up happening is that i can end up living my life for students for parents right like their approval and acceptance of me can become the ultimate thing that i desire in life so instead of being a pastor or a shepherd or a guide or whatever right i i end up becoming their best buddy right? Because it's so important to me. So sometimes I can live my life for them. So it could be teens, parents, people in the church, right? Who is it for you, right? Whose standards are you trying to meet on a daily basis? Who is it that you crave their acceptance? Who are you trying to win over more than anyone else? Who is it if you lost their acceptance, you would be devastated, right? Who is that for you? Could be a guy, could be a girl, could be a boss, a kid, a spouse, a coach, could be a stranger, could be a group of strangers, right? Who is it for you that you, you kind of allow them to, to dictate your life? Then what are those standards? What are those expectations that you're trying to meet? Right? For me, as a a youth pastor, I could feel this pressure to kind of be like an awesome youth pastor, right? So that could be whatever. It could be, oh, I got to be funny. I got to be exciting. I got to do crazy things. Um, You know, maybe I got to be relevant, or I got to dress a certain way, or I got to teach certain things. I got to not teach certain things so I don't push them away from me, right? There could be this pressure to look good, or as I call it, bald. And I figure that one out. We're good. We're good there, right? But there's all these expectations that people can have uh, for me what are they for you right what about you what standards or expectations are you trying to meet and then third how do you react when you don't meet them right when i hear that i'm not living up to someone's expectations or i'm not what someone thinks i ought to be it can hurt a little bit it can sting, right especially when there's someone who's important to you who you want who you respect them you love them you care about them more than other people right when you miss out on someone's expectations you can feel less than you can get discouraged you can um feel worthless you can feel inadequate you can get frustrated you can get angry you can get sad you can get depressed how do you react do you give up do you do you um, pull back do you do you pull all your effort into this one thing what is it that you do when you fall short and then final questions just a yes or no question are you free Right? If you live your life based on someone else giving you the standards that you have to meet, and when you don't meet them, it changes the way you act, it changes your attitude, it changes different things that you do in life, are you actually free, or are you some form of slave to someone else? Right? What you have before you with these questions is extremely important because it paints a picture of how you live your life and what it's lived for. We all have this tendency to sort of live for someone else and allow someone else to kind of <clears throat> dictate how we should live our lives, right? And we let them run our lives and we let them dictate what we should be, and it could be any number of things, right? It could be someone else, it could be ourselves. But what we do is we take these standards and we measure ourselves by them daily, right? And what happens is we often don't meet those expectations and we fall short and we beat ourselves up, we hurt ourselves, we hate ourselves, we let people down. I like to think of this mentality as being in a courtroom daily. And every day we're on trial. And what happens is every day at the end of the day, the gavel's going to come down. And what we're hoping for is a verdict that says, you did it. Good job. You've met the expectations. You've met my standards, right? But sometimes the gavel comes down and we get failure. Not good enough. You got to be better. You let me down. Disappointment. And each day we live, we make decisions, those decisions uh, control our actions, those actions have outcomes and uh, consequences, and at the end of the day, we're left with all this evidence that's either for or against us. And the gavel comes down with the verdict. Doesn't matter what you did yesterday, doesn't matter what you did the week before, last month, last year, when everything was going your way, what really matters is right now, am I getting that verdict I need? Right? So this question, are you free or are you a slave, is really about this courtroom mentality, do you feel like you're on trial every single day trying to earn something, trying to achieve something, trying to hit some mark, right? If you're, on const- if you're constantly on trial, what I think is that you are not free, right? We, we look at people who are on trial and we say innocent till proven guilty, but if, if you pay attention, they're not really free. They're trying to win something. They're trying to earn something. They're trying to get out of something. They're on trial. They are, not, they are missing out on life. What are you missing out on? When you're on trial, right? Who do you live your life for? What are those standards? What do you do when you don't meet the mark? And are you free or are you a slave? And what does that mean for your life? There's a guy, he didn't live this way, right? And his name is Paul, and he figured out a way to get out of the courtroom, get out of the trial, and live as a free man, And Paul was uh, originally a very religious person. He was a Jewish leader. He was a Pharisee. He had a lot of power and a lot of influence. And he was very self-righteous. But what happened is one day God just transformed his life just like that. And he put all that behind him and he started following Jesus. And he devoted his life to Jesus and, and preaching the good news, who Jesus was, what he did. And he went all throughout Rome and he planted churches and he traveled and he preached and he teached. And Paul's writings make up a large chunk of the New Testament, right? He wrote to all these churches, and he addressed things going on in those specific churches. And one of the letters we're going to look at today, he wrote to a letter He wrote a letter to a church in Corinth we call 1 Corinthians, right? And that's where we're going to camp out. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And what he's doing here is he's addressing questions that they've written him about, but he's also at the same time addressing rumors that he's heard about this church. And one of the rumors that he's heard is that they are starting to divide themselves up into different groups, different camps. Some of them like different leaders more than the other ones, right? So they each have their favorite leader, like some like Paul, some like Apollos, some like Peter. And they're kind of aligning themselves against each other, arguing, dividing themselves based on leaders. And these sorts of alliances and fractions, they happened back then, they happen today too, Right? Like, oh, he's my favorite teacher, I like the way he does it, or I like the way they do music over there, whatever it is. right And what this does is it creates expectations, it creates demands, it creates needs that people have, and you got to meet them. There's a pressure to meet them. Now, as a pastor, I've sort of experienced this in the church world, I've witnessed it, maybe you have too, but it happened back then, it happens now, and for Paul, what it can do is when groups start doing this, when they start dividing and they start having these expectations for what they want and these standards, there's this pressure that you have to conform, right? You have to be something, right? So for Paul, it was probably something like, oh, Apollos, he's great. I love the way he teaches. He uses way better illustrations than than Paul. Peter, oh, he's so funny. He's so good looking. He's so bald, right? I love that guy. (laughs) Shave your head, Paul, right? And so there's this pressure on Paul, To win people over, because he's hearing, he's not, he's hearing rumors that he is missing the mark. He is not meeting people's expectations, right? And he's letting them down. And this reality, it's not limited to Paul. We all experience it. We all experience at some point in our life letting people down, missing the mark. And what it does is it creates this pressure for us to conform, to become something we weren't meant to be, to be someone we're not. Right? because we need acceptance, we need love, we need admiration, we want to be respected, so we conform and we change, because we don't like rejection. But Paul is different. Paul didn't play these games. Right? He didn't give in to this pressure to change his ministry, to change the way he taught, to change his life. He didn't give in, and he kind of tells us how he did it. 1 right? Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, here's what he says to this group. He says, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In other words, I don't really care that you guys judge me and and you don't like me. You find me missing your mark. You know, I know you have expectations for me and I'm not meeting them. I know you might not like my teaching the best. I know you don't maybe like my letters the best, but I hate to say this, it just doesn't, doesn't matter to me. Right? And it's not like a self-righteous, like, oh, I'm Paul, you're just these people, you don't matter to me. It's, it's just a, I'm sorry, but your opinions have no weight. Right? He's just let it go. And he takes it a, a step further and he adds this. In 1 Corinthians, uh, again, uh, verse 3, the, the rest of it, he says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I don't even judge myself. Now, this is hard to believe that he doesn't judge himself. Everyone judges themselves. We're like the biggest critics. We beat ourselves up the most. We know the, mo- we know the truth about ourselves, right? And we come down hard on ourselves. And Paul here is saying something that's really radical, which is, I don't even judge myself. In other words, your opinion of me doesn't matter, and my own opinion of myself doesn't even matter to me, right? So what's Paul saying? Is he saying, hey, you know what? Standards, expectations, who cares? Is that what he's saying? And he's saying? Is he saying, don't try to meet a certain mark? Is he saying, don't have goals? What, what is he saying? Right? Well, he's not saying any of that. What he's saying is, you need to have the right source for standards and expectations in your life. And he tells us what that means. Verse 4, he says, For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. Meaning, I don't know that I've done anything wrong. I don't think I have, but that doesn't make me innocent because of this next part. It is the Lord who judges me. It is God who judges me. In other words, I know you judge me. I'm over it. You know, I'm not even going to judge myself, though. I don't think I've done anything wrong. That doesn't make me innocent. What truly matters, what ultimately matters, is one opinion, and it's God's. He is the judge of me. God is the judge, not others, not me, him, right? Now, for some of us, maybe most of us, we're like, well, this doesn't seem like good news, right? When I read the Bible, I see commands, I see God's expectations, his standards, and they're pretty lofty, and I can't hit them, right? In fact, if you think you can hit them, you're probably watering them down a little bit, so you can. They are lofty, they are high, So for Paul to say, your opinions of me don't matter, my opinion of me doesn't even matter, only God's opinion of me matters, we think, well, of course he would say that, because Paul was an apostle. He was a teacher. He was well-known, very influential. He probably had it all figured out. He probably did meet the mark, right? He probably had it all figured out. Is that how Paul would describe himself? No. Here's how Paul describes himself in a letter to his friend Timothy. He says this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But it doesn't stop there, and he says this, of whom I am the foremost. Or as the NLT puts it, I am the worst of them all. Right, so how do we reconcile this fact that Paul, he he says, you know what, your opinions of me don't matter, my opinions don't matter. Only God's does. He's the only one I look to. And at the same time, he says, and I have completely fallen short of his mark. And then all throughout his letters, he says, and there's good news. What do we do? If I'm a sinner, and I am, right? I rebel, I want to be God, I go my own way, and if God's judge, which he is, he's the creator, he's in charge, then it seems more like bad news that he's the judge of me, right? So how does Paul do it? How does he accept the fact that he's fallen short? How does he accept the fact that God is the ultimate judge who's going to judge him? And how does he accept the fact that he doesn't need to conform to the world? Because Paul has found freedom. Paul is free. This is freedom. Your opinion of me doesn't matter. My opinion of me doesn't matter. Only God's opinion of me matters. Well, Paul, you just said you were like the worst sinner. Yeah, I am. And that doesn't change God's opinion of me. What? Yeah. Let me explain this. This is what Paul would say. God's opinion of me, God's judgment of me, isn't based on me. It's based on someone else. Someone far better than me. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see me. He sees someone else. He sees someone better. He sees someone who hit the mark, lived out the expectations, did it all. Got the verdict. Right? And so this someone earned the verdict that I need so I can stand before God and I can say, you know what, I'm no better than anyone else. I've fallen short of your standards. But because of this person, I can face my judge and I can walk out of the courtroom a free man. This is freedom. The sort of freedom that Paul had is full, unconditional acceptance by God. That's what gives Paul his freedom. So you're probably like, how is this possible? Because it's not adding up. Is God just a a bad judge? No. Here's what happens. He explains it to the Romans. In 8 verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So how is it possible to stand before God, a holy God, a righteous judge, all this, right? How is it possible to stand before him, admit that you have fallen short, admit that you are no better than anyone else, and at the same time walk out free, no condemnation, done, how does it happen? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus makes sense of everything. Jesus, God's son, he comes to earth, he lives this perfect, faithful, obedient, trust God every second of the way life. The life we should live but we can't live. Right? And he's literally innocent. He's literally innocent yet he is put on trial. And John the Baptist, he, he calls Jesus the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus, as this lamb, that's what he does. He takes the world's sin. He takes mine. He takes yours. And he goes to trial. And he's found guilty. And he's he's given a punishment, the ultimate punishment, death. And he takes it. And Paul says that those who are in Christ Jesus... Right? who believe in him, who hope in him, who trusted in him, who are reconciled to him by faith, for those people, there is no condemnation because the judge, he looks at you, and here's what he says. Your sentence was already given to someone else. Your punishment is gone. Your crimes were paid for. You are free to go. And the gavel comes down, and God looks at those people, and he says, Innocent. Innocent, that's freedom. God's unconditional acceptance and approval, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. Right? That is freedom. God gives us the innocent verdict because Jesus took the guilty verdict. The cross is proof that this happened. There is no condemnation done. As Jesus says, it is finished. Right? So what's this mean for us? Well, it means that all these expectations that exist in your life right, that weigh you down, that cause you to doubt yourself, beat yourself up, hate yourself, right, you're free of that. Other people's acceptance, right, doesn't compare to God's acceptance. Other people's approval doesn't even compare to your Creator's, right? The feelings you get that you can't measure up, that you you can't hit the mark, God says there is no condemnation. Quit beating yourself up. I've already accepted you. So when you look at your sheet, you look at your paper, what you need to realize is those people aren't your judge. Those expectations aren't the mark. The feeling you get when you can't meet them, you shouldn't experience it, right? There is no condemnation. It is done. You can be free. If you believe in Jesus, you can literally say, like Paul, because he was no better than you, you can literally say like him, your opinion of me doesn't matter, my opinion of me doesn't matter god's opinion of me matters and you know what he says about me he says innocent accepted isn't it is this good news to anyone yes you know what's so hard though is to believe it it's so hard to believe it because we look at ourselves and we think how could god accept me the real me not the me that i show everyone else not the facebook version of me the real me as i know me how could god accept that person and you know what, if we were on trial and I was being judged, I, like my track record and everything, I would be guilty. But God says, no, 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 it's finished. He doesn't give me what I deserve because Jesus took it. He loves us so much he gave us Jesus so that he would take the trial, he would take the punishment, he would take everything and we could be free and accepted. Not because of me, but because of Jesus. That is freedom. And if you believe this, If you can get yourself to believe that God accepts you, loves you unconditionally, you don't have to earn anything, that there's no conditions in it, you will live a different life. You will be changed, right? Free people live totally differently. The early church, Paul, the other apostles, you know what? They still messed up. They were being persecuted. They had a hard life, but they felt like they were free and they changed the world. They changed the world. Are you free like Paul? Can you say, their opinions of me don't matter, my opinion of me doesn't matter, only God's is. You know what, he accepts me. Can you say that about yourself? If you can, here's what can happen in your life, okay? Freedom, first, freedom leads to obedience, When you are no longer a slave to others and their opinions, when you are no longer a slave to yourself, to your own opinions, and you live your life believing that you have God's acceptance, His love and approval, what's going to happen is that's going to motivate you and lead you toward a life of obedience, right? Because of freedom, you are allowed to obey. You don't have to worry about other people. You don't have to worry about yourself. You can just follow Jesus. You're set free from that. Freedom motivates us to Jesus, to follow Jesus, to be obedient, to be faithful. I heard a pastor use this story about a man and a slave to illustrate this idea of freedom and obedience. And here's how it goes. A man went down to a slave block to buy a slave girl. And as she looked at the man bidding on her, she figured he was just another man who was going to buy her and then abuse her. And he won the bid. And as he was walking away with his new property, he said, young lady, you are free. She said, well, what does that mean? Right? He said, well, it means you are free. She said, does that mean I can say whatever I want to say? And the gentleman says, yes, my dear, you can say whatever you want to say. Well, does that mean I can go wherever or be whatever I want to be? And he said, yes, you can be whatever you want to be. Does that mean I can go wherever I want to go? And he says, yes, you can go wherever you want to go. And she looks at the man with tears streaming down her face because she's never been free in her life. And she says, then I'm going to go with you. I'm going to stick with you because no one else has ever loved me like this. No one has ever treated me like this. No one has ever put me before themselves. No one has ever purchased this kind of amazing gift from me. You must care about me. You must love me. I'm going to stick with you. That is what our relationship with God is like. When you realize that God has done it all for you, the cost of your salvation, the cross, right? How Jesus took what we deserve and we get what he earned when you realize this kind of freedom you have, you know what's going to happen? You're going to start to lose your longing and taste for sin and disobedience and rebellion, and instead you're going to start to change and you're going to start to develop a longing to follow Jesus, to love Jesus, to obey him. Not some cold, robotic, religious, I'm going to do what Jesus says because he's in charge. You know, sad face. That's not, that's not love, right? It, it's going to be a, you know what he's done for me? Do you know what I've done? Do you know what he's set me free from? Do you know what he's forgiven me from? Do you know the penalty that he took from me? He loves me more than anyone else. He freed me. I love him. I want to follow him. That is obedience. That's the heart of obedience. And we're driven to him, to follow him, to obey him, because he earned it all for us. There's nothing left for us to earn. There's no strings attached. And this is so foreign to so many people. Even some Christians don't know it. But every world belief system, except for Christianity, basically follows one formula. And it's, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I do, therefore I get. Right? But Paul comes along and he says, not Jesus, not Christianity. Here's what Paul says, and ultimately the entire Bible works up to this new formula. That God says, you're accepted, therefore you obey. Right? You've already got the acceptance. Now you can live. Now you can follow Jesus. So we believe, we're forgiven, we're accepted, we're set free, and now we can live, now we can obey, now we can love. That's what following Jesus is all about. So freedom leads to obedience. Second, freedom leads to courage. When people are no longer, uh, when their opinions are no longer your master, right, when your opinions are no longer controlling you, Right? and you live with God's acceptance and his love, you will be a more courageous person. You will say things you never said because you don't need people to like you. You don't need their acceptance. You will do things you've never done because you no longer fear rejection. Right? You will become a courageous person. Right? And for some of us here, we are paralyzed by fear. And we don't do things Jesus asks us to do because we're trying to earn someone else's approval instead of just embracing Jesus's. And it makes it really hard for us to follow Jesus. Fear stops us. But Jesus says, no, you're free. And that freedom leads to courage. And you need courage to be a Christian. It's not popular. It's not going to be rewarded in society. You're going to have to take risks. You're going to have to take sacrifices. You might let people down. You might put people after Jesus, and they won't like that. And it takes courage. But you are free from the outcome and the condemnation, right? You are free from being rejected, from being outcast. Freedom leads to courage. Courage helps us follow Jesus. Here's a couple examples, okay? Guys, when we're free of all of that, we can be men, right? It's hard to be a man. It takes courage. And most of us, we don't act like men because we're afraid of failing. We're afraid of letting people down, afraid of failing at it, right? Guys hate failure. And so what we do is we run from our responsibilities. We run. Because God asks us to do some hard things. Be a a godly man. Be an example to the next generation. I'm a mess up. I can't do that. Love your wife the way Christ loved the church. I can't do that. I'm going to fail. Teach your kids. Be a model for them. Lead your family. That sounds hard. I might fail. And the possibility of failure forces us to run from our responsibilities and find safety at work and pour ourselves into other things. And so, you know what? We're absent. We're apathetic. We're not present. We're not men because we're afraid. But what happens is that God looks at you and he says, you know what? You're not a disappointment, even if you fail. I still love you. I still accept you. So because of freedom, men, we can face fear and we can just deal with it. You're probably gonna mess up. We don't know what we're doing. Fine. Be a man, right? God still loves you. He still accepts you. Ladies, when you're free, you don't have to live for anyone's approval. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to be a certain type. You don't have to impress a certain guy. You don't have to live up to all the other women's standards for what you should be. That takes courage, though, right? It takes courage to wait for a godly man instead of settling, to maybe choose a different path for your life that everyone else says, you can't do that, to lead your family because your husband won't, to be a single mom, to be a godly woman takes courage. And what God says is, I love you and I accept you no matter what so you can face the fears and the unknowns in life. It takes courage to be a woman. Teens. You know it takes courage to follow Jesus because you're facing it right now. You could be rejected, you could be outcast, you could be dumped because of Jesus, right? Putting your faith and relationship with Jesus before school, work, sports, others, that's not popular. That's going to take courage. Following your passions in life, embracing uh, a path that you feel God is calling you to, people are going to tell you that's dumb. Don't do it. Right? Choosing maybe a career that you want to pursue that, that maybe benefits others instead of gives you the most success, gives you the most money. People are going to say you're throwing your life away. Maybe choosing missions work that you feel you're called to instead of education. Oh, that's not popular. Courage. You need courage to follow Jesus. And because of freedom, you have it. You have it. You have God's acceptance, and that's what matters. And then finally, third, freedom leads to humility. When we are no longer slave to others and we are no longer slaves to ourselves, Right? and we have God's acceptance and unconditional love, you can become a more humble person. Pride says, it's all about me. It's got to be all about me, because what I need is I need to be loved, I need to be approved, I need to be praised, I need to be lifted up. And what happens is Jesus comes along, and he freezes from all that, and he says, I earn you the verdict, and now you're free to just live your life. It doesn't have to be about you anymore. You don't need to go earn those verdicts. Because of freedom, we can live for others where we couldn't before. You can't love someone if you need something from them so desperately. We can live for God instead of trying to impress him. We can serve selflessly. We can love without expecting anything in return. We can give without thinking, is this worth it? We can give our time without worrying if we're wasting it. Right? We can live freedom. Freedom allows us to grow as Christians where pride stunted our growth before because now we can embrace feedback, constructive criticism, right, correction because it doesn't hurt my ego anymore. I don't have to beat myself up. I can just embrace truth, right? It takes takes humility to do this, though. To follow Jesus, we need humility. And it's really easy to accidentally become a prideful Christian because what happens is You know, we read our Bible, we listen to Jesus, we come here on the weekend and we go and we do these things and we can start to feel really good about ourselves and what happens is we're back in the courtroom, but we think we've earned the verdict of good job and we walk out with our heads held high saying, I'm the man, I am the man, right? That's pride. That's Paul before he knew Jesus, right? But pride, it takes the focus off Jesus, it puts us on ourselves and pride actually makes us slaves to ourselves, right? But Jesus comes along and he sets us free from us, right? Because what Jesus did, there's no room for pride. Because of what Jesus did, there's no room for pride. The reality is you are not accepted, freed, loved, saved, forgiven, anything because of anything you did or will do. Jesus did it all. He came, he lived, he died, he rose, he gives us the spirit to empower us. God did it all for you, right? Right? So the only way to escape pride is to realize you can't impress God and the people you do impress, their opinions don't even matter. It frees you from you, right? And when you're free from you, you can finally focus on other people. You can finally love other people. You can finally live for God. That's humility. Freedom from others. Freedom from ourselves. God's ultimate, unconditional acceptance of you will change your life. You'll go from trying to earn everything to just realizing you've already got it, and now you'll be obedient. You'll go from being afraid to being courageous. You'll, be, you'll, you'll go from being, it's all about me, to it's not at all about me. This is freedom. By believing in Jesus, just by embracing what he's done and believing it about yourself, you can change. You'll be more faithful, you'll be more courageous, and you'll be humble. Are you free? Are you free? If you dread the thought of obeying, Jesus and some of the things he says, you might not be. You might still be a slave to something. If, if you can't go a day without trying to earn some praise, you might still be a slave. If you're afraid and paralyzed by fear, you are probably a slave to something. But followers of Jesus are free. doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian or not. The offer on the table is freedom. Will you take it? Will you embrace it? All right? By putting your faith and trust in Him, and just realizing He's already done it for you, and now you can just live—that's freedom. That's the offer today. So I want to end with a challenge. Typically, um, in student ministry, when we do a message, we end a little differently. We'll we usually send people to their groups, or maybe we break into twos or threes, and we would talk about the topic, and you know they would talk about their their questions. They would would get that all out there so that other people would understand them and maybe help them. And that's kind of difficult in our setting on a weekend. So here's my challenge to you. With one other person, someone you trust, someone you're close to, preferably someone that went through this, get together and talk about it. Talk about your answers. Admit, hey, here's who I'm living my life for. Let's be honest. These are the expectations I think I have to meet, and I can't do it. Right? Be honest about the self. Let it out there. And by doing this, you're going to take a step towards freedom. And then you can discuss these other questions, right? Am I free? Am I free? Am I actually trusting Jesus? What's stopping me from being a more obedient follower, a more humble follower, a more uh, courageous follower? This means that you and someone else, you're going to talk. You're going to have a real talk, right? Not like how's the weather, but like what do you live in your life for kind of talk. And you're going to get real. And I know that this challenge for some of you could probably be the hardest thing which is why you need to remember you have to embrace your freedom to even do it. You're going to need courage, and you're going to need humility to talk about this stuff. So to even have this conversation will reveal if you are free. That's the challenge. The challenge reveals if you even accept the freedom, right? But what's going to happen is some of you will will want to ignore this challenge. And what that is is that's fear, and that is pride trying to shut you down, right? Right? Fear that you will, you will let someone down, you will let this out in the open, and they won't, they'll, they'll judge you. Pride saying, I don't want anyone to know this about me, right? Don't let that happen, right? Don't let that happen, right? As a follower of Jesus, there is no good reason not to do this. Because you already have God's acceptance. You already have his approval. You already have his love. But by getting this out there, you could experience freedom. Other people could remind you and help you how to experience it, right? There's no good reason. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you are off the hook. But what I hope you realize is what the offer is. Total freedom. Freedom from others. Could you imagine living your life where you don't have to worry about what everyone thinks about you? Could you imagine living a life where whatever you think about you isn't ultimate? Now imagine living a life where the creator of the universe looks at you and says, you're not a disappointment, I love you. That's the offer, true freedom, all right? Now I'm gonna pray for us um, and then we're gonna take communion together. Father, we just, uh, you know, we love you so much. Um, You gave us Jesus and he's done so much for us. He lived, he died, he rose, he did it all. Um, But sometimes we just don't believe it. You know, either because we're afraid or because we're prideful. For whatever reason, we just, we put ourselves on trial day in, day out, and it's beating us up, and it's hard. I pray right now that we remember what Jesus did for us. We remember that we are free, that we have your love and acceptance, that we are your children. And as a father, you look at us and you love us. You're not disappointed at us. You don't hate us. You love us. It's so hard to remember. It's so hard to believe. We need your help. And we ask for it, in Jesus' name, amen.